بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی ایٹ آف جنوری ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ وی موو آن Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu And I spent a few sessions taking a glimpse into his renowned taqwa or his fear of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I mentioned that he himself said that they would listen to the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then when they would sit amongst themselves they would memorize whatever they had learned. And I also mentioned that he narrated hadith which he did not hear direct from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because I've heard it from other companions. So when he narrates, he was explaining that all of the companions were upright and trustworthy. Muhammad ibn Sirin, rahmatullah alayhi, he said, whenever Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu narrated a hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would end with the words, it was something like this that Rasulullah had said. This is Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Hakim in his Mustadrak, Abu Ya'la, Hafiz ibn Abd al-Bar in his Jami al-Ulum, in his Jami, volume 1, page 79, Kanzul Umal, volume 5, page 240, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 785 of the New English Translation. So this was the habit of the companions of the Prophet even though they heard it direct from the Prophet they would say out of fear, It was something like this that the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So why would they do that? Because to narrate from the Prophet is a very heavy matter, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Therefore, you may make a mistake in terms of the wording. Thus, it is an excellent habit after narrating a blessed hadith to state words such as to the nearest meaning or something similar was said. And there's a famous example where Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu he would always do this in fact he wouldn't even narrate from the Prophet he would just say the hadith without narrating it back to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa but on one occasion he actually said I heard Rasulullah say sallallahu alayhi wa when he said that his face went pale and it looked like he was going to faint and his students then held him and then he quickly said something similar to the nearest meaning Something similar to the nearest meaning. This is in Ibn Majah, authentic hadith. So think about that. Out of character, out of habit, he said, Rasulullah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he felt that he's made a, now it's a huge responsibility. So he quickly added something similar. In other words, I'm not quoting him exactly, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So why is this quite humorous and also sad in today's day and age? Look at the fear the companions had when narrating hadith. And look at the lack of fear we have when we narrate hadith of the Prophet So what do I mean by that? So first of all, we narrate hadith. We don't even say to the nearest me. Then we don't even, we're not concerned if it's authentic. So is it an authentic hadith with an authentic chain of transmission back to the Prophet Or at the very least, give a reference. So he said, Buddha, I don't know if it's authentic, but you'll find it in this work, i.e. in Hakim, 
So a person can then verify it. So what do we notice? None of the, just Prophet said this, Prophet said that, Prophet said this, and this shows the lack of fear. Subhanallah, Anas radiyallahu would say the above, despite the fact he had actually written down the hadith during the lifetime of the Prophet Sa'id ibn Hilal rahmatullahi he said, when we asked a lot of questions, Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu, he pulled out a huge bag, he opened it and he said, these are the ahadith that I have heard from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa I wrote them down and have already shown them to the Blessed Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa I to confirm if there was an error. This is in Hakim in his Mustadrak 3-664, Hafiz al-Khatib al-Baghdari in his Taqiyid al-Ilm, Shaykh Shibli Nu'mani in his Seerat al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, volume 1, page 14 of the English translation. So this is an important report. Because some people ignorantly think that the hadith were not recorded in the time of the Prophet. Because it came centuries later, 200 years later, 150 years later, where the hadith started to be compiled. So this is a big mistake. The hadith was actually memorized, put into the hearts immediately. It was also written by the Sahab. So a person goes, where's the proof? So here's one. Anas got a huge bike, radiyallahu, and he goes, I wrote these hadith directly from the Prophet and I actually showed them to him. And when I related it to the Prophet, he said, correct, I said that. So now question, where is this collection? It should be a collection called the Musnad of Anas. So the response is, the companions collected hadith Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As was one of them, he wrote them down. Anas, another one, and many other sahab. All of those hadith have been submerged into the famous collections. You understand, right? So if somebody goes, where's this, where's this priceless book? You'll find it in the collections. You'll find it in Bukhari, Muslim, Nasai. So they're not lost. They've been put into the various collections. So none of these narrations have been lost. And it's also important to highlight that this shows that the hadith were protected. Allah was protecting the hadith, just like he protected the Quran. This writing should not come as any surprise. Because Anas relates, radiyallahu, that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa secure knowledge by writing it. Secure knowledge by writing it. This is in Hakim and his Mustadrak, graded Sahih in Sahih al-Jami, volume 2, page 816. So look how, how ironic. Who narrates this hadith? Anas. And he goes, I heard the Prophet say, secure knowledge by writing it. Meaning you protect the knowledge once it's documented. Once you write it, you don't have to rely, rely upon your memory. So the Prophet was praising this. People say, is it praiseworthy to write? And the answer is yes, because you're trapping the knowledge. So honest, think about it. Do you honestly believe he's going to narrate the hadith to you and he's not going to do it himself? So somebody asks you, he goes, okay, who narrated the honest? Did he write hadith? Yes. The guy gets shot, he goes, has he got a collection? Well, he did, yes, but he's now incorporated in the famous collections. So the sahaba were the first. For once it is written, one does not have to rely upon one's memory as much. 
Note also now that in the modern age, one has recording equipment, i.e. such as the mobile phones. However, there is a possibility that the batteries may fail or the recording becomes corrupted. Thus note, there is no nothing better than simply writing down what has been said. Because that can't get corrupted unless, of course, it's washed or something or it's burnt. But usually once you write something, it's secure. And of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Now, why do I say that? Because you can have knowledge otherwise. So obviously, you've got the phone that we're doing now, the recording equipment. This is backup. If you have the right intention, you get rewarded for that. You're obeying the command of the Prophet But of course, to be literal with his wording, he said, write it. So obviously, that is probably the best way in which to incorporate the command of the Prophet The students of Anas followed suit. In Darimi in his Sunnah, Muslim ibn Iqais, he said, I saw Aban sitting and writing down by Sayyidina Anas. I saw Aban sitting and writing down by Sayyidina Anas. So note, Anas' students, they were writing. What were they writing? They were trapping the knowledge which the Prophet encouraged. So consider, Though he was a direct eye and ear witness to whatever our beloved messenger said or did, and his recording of his blessed words, Anas, he went on to say this. Now, this is fascinating. So, despite hearing direct writing, he said this. The fact which stops me from narrating a great number of ahadith to you is that the Prophet said, من تعمد علي كذبا فليتبوا مقعده من النار. Whoever tells a lie against me deliberately, then indeed let him occupy his seat in the fire. This is in Sahih Bukhari number one hundred and eight in the chapter on knowledge. Sahih Muslim number three in the chapter on narrating from the trustworthy and ignoring the lies. So now was shocking. He's got so many hadiths. He's one of the most prolific narrators of the Prophet And what did he say? I could narrate much more, but I am fearful. I could narrate to you a great number. What stops me? And he mentioned the hadith. Now this hadith is mutawatir. So what does that mean? What that means is the Prophet he was inspired by Allah the Almighty and Glorious on rare occasions to mention some things which there could be no doubt meaning he mentioned certain things at home on a journey on jihad in the masjid so it became mutawatir he was inspired to do this this is one of the things he narrated everywhere and what did the prophet say whoever tells a lie against me deliberately so there's mercy the mercy is you can do it by accident so you're not threatened by the Prophet Sallallahu So what do I mean? You might narrate and you're not, you didn't realize this is a fabricated report. So you're narrating, but you had no intention to do it deliberately. So this doesn't apply to you. This is the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. But once you know something is not true and you persist in narrating it, the Prophet says, you've reserved your seat in the fire. Meaning this is one of the major crimes in Islam to deliberately attribute something to the Prophet he never said. So 
Think about that. A Bukharian Muslim and a said, what's stopping me is this report. What does that tell you? What was he narrated? <laughs> so many things. It's really interesting. He's narrated so many thousands. He didn't narrate many. Why? Because he was fearful. Why was he fearful? Maybe he was not 100% certain. He got the correct understanding of the hadith, so he held back. In another report, Imam Ahmad, he relates from Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Qattan, who relates from Suleiman al-Taymi, who relates that Anas added, Muta'amida deliberately occurred twice. And in another hadith, it occurred only once. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, volume 3, page 116. Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim with a prestigious short chain with just two narrators between Imam Ahmad and Anas. So in another flawless report, the Prophet said, Muta'amida twice. Whoever lies against me deliberately, deliberately, he has reserved his seat in the fire. But in another report, he mentioned it once, the Prophet So why have I even bothered mentioning that? Look how preserved the hadith are. Think about that. You know, does it make any difference if the Prophet said it twice or once? Whoever lies about me deliberately, he has reserved his seat in the fire. But Anas also said, he said it twice. Whoever lies about me deliberately, deliberately, he has reserved his seat in the fire. So what was Anas teaching us? He was teaching, look how precise they were in the wording of the Prophet Those to reiterate the divine mercy, if one unintentionally narrates something false from our beloved Messenger then this severe threat does not apply. All praise and thanks be to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The other huge crime in Sayyid Bukhari is that you lie that you've seen a dream and you haven't. So you say, I saw the Prophet in my dream, for instance, and you haven't. The Prophet said, this is another huge crime, another major crime in the sight of Allah. So why? Because dreams are revelation. 140, because the Prophet said, nothing is left of the divine revelation except good dreams. And in one report, he says 146. So people, when you tell them you've had a dream, people take it very seriously. But that is also a huge crime because it's linked to revelation. And how many people have been duped into doing things? Because somebody said, I saw the Prophet in my dream. For instance, you might even say something silly like this. The Prophet told me to tell you that you must give me your wealth. And then the, what the, you know, the simple person goes, the Prophet said it. So these are people lying about the Prophet and that is also a huge crime. And note how common these crimes are in today's day and age. People lie about the Prophet and they even lie about the dreams. Despite Anas's caution and fear, Hafiz Zahbi in his seer 3-406, he said, Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu related 2,286 hadith, of which Imam Bukhari and Muslim agree upon 180. Imam Bukhari relates a further 80 hadith by himself and Imam Muslim relates 90 by himself. So Imam Zahabi helped to explain to us, the lay people, how many hadith he related. So Anas related 2,286 hadith. Imam Bukhari and Muslim agree upon 180. So you'll find 180 hadith from Anas, from the Prophet both in Bukhari and Muslim. 
both Imam Bukhari by himself relates 80 from Anas, an additional 80, but you won't find it in Muslim. And Imam Muslim relates by himself another 90, which you don't find in Bukhari. So what does that tell you? He was a prolific narrator of the hadith of the Prophet But despite that, he goes, I'm being prevented from narrating too much. Another striking trait of Anas, radiyallahu, is that just like our beloved Messenger, he did not speak much. So what's strange? You would expect one of the most prolific narrators of a hadith who liked to talk. He didn't talk much. Abu Ghalib, rahmatullah, said, I have not seen anyone more reserved in speech than Anas ibn Malik. This is in Al-Bidayah, volume 9. Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 1, page 13 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of the Prophet Muhammad who settled in Basra. So Abu Ghalib, a senior tabi, what did he say? He goes, he was the most reserved in his speech. There nobody could outdo him. So now what's interesting, we mentioned something about his ihram. So what would he do in ihram? He would basically that once his ihram was on, he would do constantly zikr. Okay, he didn't. So he was doing zikr. He wouldn't talk, you know, fazul, you know, love, useless speech. But out of ihram, he hardly spoke <laughs> because he didn't hardly speak. So what do you notice? You know, he was a very, very God-fearing person. The reason for this is his student Ata al-Wasiti, rahmatullahi he relates that Anas himself said, no one has the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until he grieves over what comes out from his tongue. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 1, page 13 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of the Prophet Muhammad who settled in Basra. So now think about it. He's given you a key. One of the golden keys to taqwa is that you control your tongue. And he goes, when you grieve over what leaves your tongue, he goes, you will have taqwa. Now think about that. So that's his statement. So a person goes, well, how did he apply it himself? He hardly talked. So look how beautiful. His actions was louder than his speech. But he did say that. He goes, no one has the fear of God until he grieves over what leaves his tongue. Sufyan al-Fawri, he said, prolonged silence is the key to worship. Prolonged silence is the key to worship. This is in Ibn Abi Dunya in his Asant, Mausu'a, Number 437, volume 7, page 255. Now what does that mean? Prolonged silence is the key to worship. So if you can't talk, what worship is he talking about? So obviously it's not with the, in the tense of utterance. It probably is in reference to maraqibah, contemplation. When you don't talk, you start thinking. So he goes, it's the key to worship. So Fiyan al said, Rahmatullah as no other than our beloved messenger himself said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Man samata najah, the one who remains silent, he wins deliverance. Man samata najah, the one who remains silent, won deliverance. This is in Tirmadi, number 2509, or volume 4, page 225. So the Prophet himself was telling you, if you want to be successful, learn how to stop speaking. 
Abu Darda actually said a very interesting statement that he had learned. He goes, just as you have learned how to speak, learn how to unspeak. <laughs> it will quite funny. So you get a baby, don't talk. <laughs> then you teach it. Then eventually he starts saying, Dada, Mama, right? And all of a sudden, become Shakespeare. Then you imagine, then you go, Ra, you learn how to speak. Then he goes, now your next lesson is this. Now stop speaking. So the person goes, what, what does that mean? You have to learn that, Abu Darda said. You have to learn when to talk and when not to talk. Some people haven't got that science now. They've lost it. Right? In fact, if you don't talk, people think you're dumb. And what's interesting about it, the word dumb means you can't talk. What did Abu Bakr Siddiq say? Who was more God-fearing than him? Abu Bakr Siddiq said, If only I had been dumb, but privileged to speak to the extent of doing dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is recorded by Hafiz Mawla Ali Qali in his Mirqat, number 5826 or 10-87. I think about that. Abu Bakr Siddiq, what did he say? He goes, if only I couldn't talk with the only exception, dhikr. Because I would have loved that. Now be honest, would you love that? Somebody goes, be honest, I'll tell you straight, I can't, sorry, I'd love to say yes. You have to follow the Siddiq. But that's a very high level, I can't do it. Why can't you do it? I can't function. Why can't you function? Right? Then he goes, well, you need to talk, to live. Didn't Abu Bakr know that? <laughs> Once Abu Bakr Siddiq, the hadith is in Tirmidhi and Mishkat, Umar came to see him and Abu Bakr is holding his tongue and he's rebuking himself. So Umar said, have mercy on yourself, Allah has forgiven you. Abu Bakr goes, this small piece of flesh has taken me to places of destruction. So let me ask you a question. You will name me one sin he committed with the tongue. He's not like me and you. you know, bug rolls come out. There you go. That's your link. Back by him, there's another bug roll, right? Back by Well, slandering God, there's another bug roll, right? Abu Bakr, what sin was he committing? And he's rebuking himself. And Umar goes, you're forgiven. Have mercy. When have we done this? So note, and also the best of examples, the Prophet the Hadith says, nobody was more reserved in speech than Rasulullah. He, he just looked at others and smiled. So imagine he'd be in a gathering, Sahaba talking, and he's just smiling at them. Now what's shocking about that? He's the mouthpiece of revelation. The mouth that Allah, Allah used to convey his message. He's not talking. The holiest mouth in creation. Right? So, again, note, we've got problems. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, what did he say? He said, the thing that needs to be imprisoned and the key thrown away is your tongue. <laughs> so, imagine somebody goes, put this in prison and don't let him out. Throw the key away. Is what we're talking about. Al Capone, right? He goes, no, no, Al Capone. You know who? Books him alone. Right? He goes, no. We're talking about your tongue. Who said that? He goes, Abdullah ibn Masood. Who's he? Then we got a problem. So why did he say that? And these are companions. They had control over their nafs. We've got very little control. The Prophet said, In Tabarani Sahih He goes, Most of the sins of the children of Adam come from his tongue. 
So think about that. If you had a pie chart of sins, at least 50.0001% at least is all related to your tongue. We already know that. So if you control your tongue, what does that mean? Half your deen secure. The Prophet's telling you that. So how do you control the tongue? Two ways. You keep it occupied by doing dhikr or you remain silent. Once Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, he was by himself in a masjid and a man came and saw him in the masjid. This is in Behaki in Shu'ab al-Iman. He goes, Ghanima, spoils. In other words, a companion of the Prophet, nobody with him because what an opportunity. So he goes over to him. And then he goes, Oh, blessed companion of the Prophet, why are you here by yourself? So Abu Dhar had a black cloak on. So he looked and he said, To be alone is better than being with bad company. To be with good company is better than being alone. To remain silent is better than to speak uselessly. And to speak good is better than to remain silent. Then he put his cloak over his head again. <laughs> Tabim goes, Ma'asalaam, <laughs> left him. <laughs> so look how concise he was. <laughs> he didn't say, oh, mashallah, welcome, oh, student of sacred knowledge. <laughs> he just told him. So what was he telling him about? Why he was, why was he by himself? He says, there's no good company. Why aren't you talking? For Zoom? <laughs> just keep quiet. So... What was he? That was the, that he ex- uh, described the entire deen in such short sentences. And note how they would be by themselves. You know, it's the Sahaba. Why are they by themselves? They didn't like to be with people because they knew they had to talk. Once Abdullah ibn Mas'ud in Tabarani, he was invited. And this person brought him a very special dish made from a special bird. So Abdullah ibn Masood said, where do you get this bird from? Because he knew it wasn't something, you know, which was found in their locality. So he goes, oh, I had to go to a special place. You know, he was like, you know, you go hunting. I went into the wilderness and I caught it just to honor you. So Abdullah ibn Masood said, ah, if only I was with that bird. So what, what, what was he talking about? He goes, that bird's very clever. He goes, middle of nowhere. He goes, why couldn't I be there? Meaning I don't like mixing with people, but I've got to mix. Somebody came to Abdullah ibn Abbas. He goes, I'm always, you know, I feel terrible. I seem to get hurt every other minute. He goes, people hurt people. He said three words to him, but you need commentary on it. What he said was, you're getting hurt because of people. So keep away from them. You won't get hurt. And it's true. Think about the times you got hurt. Who hurt you? Think about you know last time you got hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was it? Jannat. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, and, and what is shocking is somebody, maybe a close friend, family member. So if you were by yourself, who's gonna hurt you? Right. So note all of this. Now go back to what I mentioned about Anas. His student said. I've not seen anybody more reserved in speech than Anas ibn Malik because he didn't talk. So note, what do we take? We take that he was an extremely God-fearing soul. He was taught by the best, i.e. Al-Mustafa, the chosen one.
So all I mentioned today, again, was a glimpse into his fear of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mentioned a few things about when he would relate the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, how fearful he was in his wording and in how he compiled the hadith as well. And then I mentioned in his speech, he was very, very miserly. It is a report which mentions you should be generous with your wealth but miserly in your speech. That's a hadith. So, so somebody goes, I'm a miser me. He goes, brother, but I'm miserly in speech. But I'm generous in wealth. So what do we do? We're generous with speech. We're miserly with wealth. Astaghfirullah. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>